there definitely are concerns around the types of jobs and we've seen, so the productivity report shows that employment's going up and productivity isn't, so what's going on there, you know, yeah. what's happening, our graduates, if we have this quite a high proportion of graduates really at 19%, same as Ireland, we should be seeing things like productivity increasing and we're not. Hello and welcome to this month's Aaron's Podcast. I'm Rory Montgomery. Our subject today, for the first time in fact, in two years of Aaron's Podcasts, is education. And I'm delighted to have with me Dr. Anne Devlin of the Economic and Social Research Institute in Dublin, who, along with her colleagues Seamus McGuinness, Adele Bergen and Emer Smith, has written an article entitled Education Across the Island of Ireland, Examining Educational Outcomes, Earnings and Intergenerational Mobility. Anne, you're most welcome here. Perhaps we could kick off by you telling me what basically were the broad research questions you were asking um, as you undertook this study and what was the scope of your work? Yeah, thanks, Roy, and thanks very much for having me on. It's great to be talking about such important work. Um, I suppose this was a bit different compared to a lot of the work we do, which is very, um, I suppose, specific and on a very narrow topic. And because there's very little north-south research is as we all know, sort of growing post-Brexit. Um, and this is, we think anyway, you don't like to be too confident, but the first looking at education north and south. Um, so it was more about sort of getting a broad overview, what's going on, what's happening, what are the outcomes, and what do the two systems look like um, for education in Northern Ireland and Ireland. Um, so it was a bit different. So we sort of looked at educational attainment. We looked a bit at how it links to the labour market. And we also spoke to stakeholders. So it's quantitative and qualitative work, which is interesting because we find these gaps, we find these things coming through in data. And then we start to talk to people and hear maybe what's explaining them. Um, so quite a broad report. And this particular paper, I think I'm right in saying, builds on some other work you had done for the Shared Island Unit of the of the Taoiseach's Department. And so maybe, and as I say, it's the first time we have talked about education uh, in this podcast series. Maybe you could give us a kind of a, you know the big picture of of what the you know the high high points if you like or the most important points of your research would have been you know not necessarily just confined to this paper which we'll talk about in more detail later on but what would you say are the the main and most striking features um, of the situation? Yeah, so um, uh, a lot of the time in Northern Ireland we talk about a really good education system and that is the case uh, sort of it runs along UK averages but when we looked compared then Northern Ireland and Ireland we did find quite big differences similarities too but quite big differences in terms of attainment um, early school leave and things like that but the real big thing to me was um, this has diverged over time so when we looked at the data 2005 Northern Ireland and Ireland educational attainment early school leaving um, all them things were quite similar but um, it's really diverged over time. There's been huge improvements in Ireland in terms of attainment, things like that, that just haven't been mirrored in the North. So that was a pretty big one for me. And then when we were doing our initial report with the Shared Island Unit, we started to see a social disadvantage in these things were coming up quite a bit. So that's what led on to this report. So social disadvantage is a big one. You know, there's a lot of talk about academic selection in the North and the DASH programme in the South. And then that feeds back into that sort of divergence over time, sort of trying to explain maybe what's happening. Um, and then obviously big gaps in terms of earnings. So we looked at the returns to different educational qualifications. And what I actually found very interesting there was a lot of the time we talk about the Googles and the Facebooks and the 
sort of university graduates getting well paid. But really, in Ireland, the wages are much higher across the board. So even people at low levels um, education are getting paid much more in Ireland than we are seeing is the case in Northern Ireland. And just again, so I'm sure most of our listeners will will know, but I mean, you've 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 looked at education really from 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 four or five primary to the university level. But obviously, one of the biggest differences, as you suggested, is the secondary level. Uh, where there is selection in Northern Ireland and and not um, in in the South, about how what's the breakdown um, in terms of numbers in Northern Ireland going to selective schools at second level and and and, and the rest? No, not put a, a direct number, but I think it's in round the sort of low forty percent are in grammar schools now. Yes. Um, obviously, academic selection has changed over time. Um, we've had the move away from the eleven plus now to the. Don't have academic selection, but we do have academic selection and the sort of change. So schools aren't preparing children for it now, which um, in my mind is potentially more concerning and maybe sort of um, having a bigger impact in terms of social disadvantage there now. Because if the schools aren't preparing children for these new exams, it's up to the families and extra things and tutors and stuff. Yeah. So academic selection came through quite a bit when we're talking, obviously, mostly talking to the people in the north. Yeah, I know. I, I understand, and, and as I understand it, in fact, you you have but you have a choice of different transfer tests you could take, yeah. organised by different bodies. Um, so that's an interesting point. I hadn't heard that before. Then that that in fact, since children are not in the position to be or or not, are not properly uh, coached or, or not coached for these things in in school, they even find it tougher than they would have done. Before yes. the abolition of the 11 plus. Yeah, and then this came through when we were talking, we had an event in Northern Ireland um, in Belfast talking about the report and this was sort of, it's hard to prove, there's no data looking at these things, but it's likely that's the case. At least schools aren't meant to be preparing them for it. So some schools maybe are, some schools aren't. Yeah. And then parents are trying to f- sort of fill that block. And also when we did the interviews, it was coming across quite strongly. Parents don't want their children to do these exams, but they also don't want to set them back either. So they're sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Um, so even though they don't want it, they're having to do it because they want, they're want they trying to give their children the best chance and send them to the best schools. I understand. Tell me then, um, you mentioned the improvement um, in the performance of the, the South of the Republic over the last uh, 20 years. So can you say a bit to us about how that difference manifests itself at the at the sort of the bottom of the scale among early school leavers and, and people leaving without any qualifications. Yeah, so that's where we see the real big differences now. Um, in 2005, there was very similar levels with the lowest levels of qualification in around sort of 19, 20%, if I remember correctly. Um, that sort of just stayed the same up and down a wee bit, but roughly the same level in Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK has been quite similar, bar maybe Scotland. But in, North, or in Ireland since 2005, that has really tapered off. You know, the large majority of people now are pupils and students in school are going on, they're getting their junior cert and they're going on and doing their leaving cert. Um, so we're finding differences there. And then another big difference we find is we've very, very similar levels of graduates in both. So you sort of wonder where everybody's gone. Um, but we're finding there's a large proportion of people in Ireland with these post-secondary, non-tertiary qualifications, so the PLCs. In Northern Ireland, we're not seeing that. That would be called further education in yes. Northern Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. further yeah. education. So the, like the things you traditionally would have went to the colleges for. So we see a big, big difference there. There's about three times many people, about 30% in Ireland have them sort of qualifications. So in between leaving school, but not a degree level. 
um, and it's about 11% in Northern Ireland, so a big difference there. And that's actually, um, the trade unions have been pushing that for a long time, that Northern Ireland is really missing, and they're ten- they tend to be sort of vocational in nature, Real- we're really missing these sorts of skills within the labour market. And tell me, in, in terms of, of gender then, um, are there are there differences between boys and girls in Northern Ireland? Uh, gender's not actually something we get on too much in this. Um, it was on 60-odd pages, so <laughs> by the time we were looking at everything else and we started to look then at the sort of social disadvantage background stuff and breaking it down, um, we didn't get too much into the um, gender side of it. One thing I had pulled out was the proportion of people who are NEETs, so who are not in education, employment or training at a young age. And I found that in Ireland it's roughly similar between boys and girls, but in Northern Ireland we see quite a, a big gender difference there. So I, I couldn't tell you what's going on, but I'd imagine there is some gender differences that are happening in the North. And so that, and then that's a, a higher male proportion of a higher number overall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, certainly, I think everybody would argue, or you know, it's 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 the common assumption. I think that that boys, in particular, from from working class Protestant backgrounds, you know, tend to do worse in the system. I I don't know if that's true. It's, everyone seems to believe that it that it is. But then, just by comparison, so you say, which is interesting, that Northern Ireland's position vis a vis the rest of the UK, the other parts mm-hmm. of the UK, has remained fairly um, static. So it's not so much that Northern Ireland has got worse vis-a-vis Wales or Scotland or whatever, but it's got but the, the Republic has improved yeah. vis-a-vis the UK yeah, as a whole. That's exactly it. So Northern Ireland, like it is in loads of different headline indicators, whether that's the economy or education, yeah. is slightly below the UK average. Not a big difference. Um, sort of runs in line with Wales. Um, Scotland, again, as usual, sort of performs a bit better. And in education, it's been maybe improving. You know, I suppose their policy and stuff sometimes diverge a bit. But yeah, no, Northern Ireland isn't, it's that the South has been doing well, really. It's not that the North has been doing badly. And we've actually seen that in a lot of other work. So Seamus McGuinness and Adele Bergen did the productivity report recently, and they actually see the exact same trends coming through. I mean, there would be those in Northern Ireland, I, I know, who would say, well, actually, you know, um, our our best pupils, best students do really, really well. We get extremely good A-level results on, on average. Uh, we outperform many other parts. And I suppose that, is that true, first of all? And even if it is true, I suppose it's compatible with underperformance at other levels. Yeah, um, I think it is true, but it's the long tail of underperformance that we have is what's concerning. Yeah. Um, and then how that interacts with social disadvantage. You know, we have really high proportions um, leaving school early with no qualifications at young age, you know. Yes, we sort of, you don't want to see that in a developed economy, really. You know, you want to see people going on. We don't expect everybody to be graduates or have degrees in medicine or whatever. Um, but people need to be going on getting these skills that are fitting into a modern labour market. Well, in the paper, you look in, in some detail into a number of, of very interesting aspects of this. And one of them, I think, which you mentioned earlier, is the question of, uh, of, w- of wage gaps mm-hmm. um, and obviously there are many explanations as to why wages might be different and again this is another area where the South if you like has pulled ahead of the North over the last while but I think you also find quite a significant role played by by educational um, underattainment in, in that. Yep. So it's it's sort of hard to know. There's a lot going on and there's a lot going on within the labour markets, but we do find them um, big wage gaps even at the bottom end. You know, one actually where we don't see the big wage gap is that post-secondary, non-tertiary, which to me would suggest there is a demand for these qualifications that we don't have in Northern Ireland. And there seems to be 
there seems to be a bit of a contested space for the colleges and around the further education at the minute, um, which potentially is a bit of a problem that come up quite strongly. We're doing quantitative and qualitative work. Um, so, yeah, wage gaps are consistent across the board. And that's even after, you know, we control for the data we use controls for UK prices. And then I went on ahead and controlled it for Northern Ireland prices because obviously yeah. they're lower again. So they really are quite comparable. People have argued maybe it's sort of pulled up by Dublin in Ireland. But then Belfast wages are higher than dairies are too. So it's hard to know. But yeah, wage gaps are just consistent across the board um, for all education levels. And but again, is there a specific is but is, but is, but is there evidence? I suppose because more a higher proportion of the Northern Ireland workforce have have lower educational levels. So that obviously is a is a, a special drag for them. Yeah, um, and I think the drag I think is potentially more worrying is you can see a big jump in wages to university level in Ireland, and we don't see that in the north. So it might actually see a bit of a drag at the other end. I wonder what the job quality is for our graduates. Are graduates in Belfast doing the same thing as graduates in Dublin and London? Okay. I'm not entirely sure they all are. And I think that might also be sort of dragging wages down. That's a very interesting um, suggestion, yeah, because in a previous discussion we had uh, in this series and the previous article by John Fitzgerald on, on the labour markets north mm-hmm. and, and, and south, I mean, one of his key points always has been that the that the, the thing which would most dramatically improve Northern Ireland's economic performance would be to find a way to bring um, you know the, the many graduates who go abroad back back into Northern Ireland. But you seem to be there seems to be something you're suggesting there seems to be a, pos- <laughs> a possibility in this that in fact and it's a vicious circle maybe, but there wouldn't necessarily be the jobs to make full use of their their talents and experience if they were to come back. Yeah, um, and that does come up quite often about the brain drain, about people staying away in the labour market. But um, yeah, I'm not sure it is. There there definitely are concerns around the types of jobs. And we've seen, so the productivity report shows that employment's going up and productivity isn't. So what's going on there? You know, yeah. what's happening? Our graduates, if we have this quite a high proportion of graduates, really at 19%, same as Ireland, we should be seeing things like productivity increasing and we're not. So I'm not sure we've done, and we see the number of teachers and stuff who are going to the Middle East. Um, I seen it in the papers in Ireland yesterday. It's been happening in Northern Ireland. They come into the universities every year to recruit them for Doha and Qatar yes. and wherever else. So I'm not entirely sure it's the silver bullet. But I think that's the problem in Northern Ireland. There's no, there's no solve all for any of the problems. Then a very interesting part of the research was um, I found was that on sort of. Well, first of all, on sort of educational mobility, if you like, um, later on social mobility, educational mobility, in other words, you know, the, the patterns of educational attainment among people whose, whose, whose parents had different levels of, of attainment. And, and again, the findings there are, are not particularly encouraging from a Northern Ireland point of view, are they? No, definitely not. Um, and I suppose we started to see it coming through in our initial report. You know, people were talking about the different programmes in place. There's the DASH programme in Ireland, the Deliver and Equality in Schools programme, which was spoke of very highly. When we spoke to people in Northern Ireland, they were saying, we give extra money, but it's not targeted. The Northern, Ar- the Northern Ireland Audit Office has said that before. And I think people recognised Northern Ireland is not dealing well with social disadvantage within the education system. And then we've seen the gaps. We've seen how it's been improving in Ireland and not in the North. So we, we, that's sort of what brought us on to then this report in Ireland, um, looking more closely at the sort of transmission or 
social background effect that it has. And people in Ireland whose parents don't have an upper secondary qualification, I think about 50% go on to have a post-secondary or third level qualification. And that's 21% in Northern Ireland. So really big differences. And we see that, you know, we look at different things and we find these gaps. And really the connection or the link between social background and your educational performance has been cut in Ireland. And that's just not the case in Northern Ireland. I suppose it's maybe how we're dealing with it in schools. And then also um, the role academic selection has to play in that too. You know, most people would argue that it's sort of, it's concentrating children from socially disadvantaged backgrounds in schools Mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily the best thing for them. So, yeah, so so education has been, yeah, has been less important or is less important in Northern Ireland as a way of 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 improving the the life chances, if you like, of uh, of 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 you know kids from underprivileged backgrounds. Yeah, it just it doesn't seem to be the sort of mover that it has been in Ireland and in other places. Just that link seems to be still quite strong there. That whatever your parents, however far they attained or however far they went in their education, is um, going to be a big predictor of yours as well. I was interested actually, just as an aside, that you you found that there is a percentage of people in both jurisdictions, and this is hardly surprising, who actually don't attain the same levels as their, their parents. Yes, um, and I thought that was interesting too. I suppose we're looking at younger people. Yeah. So it might be maybe it takes you a while. I went on to uni for a good while and was getting called a lifetime student. So um, I think that's one reason is just looking at younger people. But I think it's also potentially in the South, especially the PLC. So maybe your parents have a degree and you've just went down the sort of post-leave insert, maybe a more vocational route. So there's maybe not a big difference between some of them in terms of the quality of job or the income you go on to have. Now, if your parents had a degree and you're achieving a lower secondary qualification, there's obviously a problem there. Yeah. But um, we don't have the detail there that you'd really like to see just what's happening within that. Yeah. But it, but the interesting thing is that it does happen and, and the numbers yeah. are not that insignificant either. You no, know? absolutely. They're minority, obviously, but, but insignificant. And then you have a lot of uh, statistical uh, data in, in this about many things. And one of them, which is interesting, is the determinants of being a, a high earner as between the South Ireland and the North and uh, Northern Ireland and the extent to which educational attainment is um, is a relevant determinant. And I think there were, again, maybe surprisingly, there were some differences there too. Yeah, so uh, I think it sort of links back to them differences that we talked about and them differences in the returns to qualifications are sort of linking in there as well. Um, so we're finding that if your parents have a low level of education, you're less likely. But then when we control for education, that impact sort of drops out. And it seems to be that education is driving whether you'll be a high earner or not. Um, but we do see differences. It probably comes down to the different makeup of the two economies, North and South. You know, there's very different, big differences between Belfast and Dublin in terms of the jobs um, that are available. And I think that potentially has something to do with it. And on the sort of policy side then, um, I mean, I think virtually everybody at a conference or a panel in Northern Ireland would say, you know, well, it's obvious we have to reform, we have to, um, you know, we, 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 ha- we have to move away from selection, we have to invest in in, in, in un- attacking underprivileged in particular. A lot of talk um, over for many years. Uh, we don't have an assembly or an executive in place now, obviously. But what do you think are the main policy challenges and, and how likely is it do you think that they will be acted upon if the political context were were right? <laughs> it's a lot of ifs, right? Yes, a lot of ifs, right. <laughs> so we talked about the academic selection, and you're right. Um, 
The research is all there. Professor Tony Gallagher in Queen's has done loads of work on this. Um, the Commissioner for Children says the academic selection is traumatic and lots of other negative things about it. So I think it's sort of hard to know. We also have the reports that say it's Protestant working class boys are the ones who are performing the worst, although religion isn't a huge part of it. It's really the boys and the work, the social background is the yeah. big one. But yet then we have certain political parties who support the continued use of academic selection and you wonder how that is in line with their constituents or whatever. I don't know. Obviously it's been, the 11 plus was got rid of, but then it's just been replaced. Um, I think probably if we were able to analyse it or examine it now, it has got worse because we talked about it at the beginning that it's now parents. So if your parents can't afford to tutor you and your school's not covering the yeah. tests, you're unable to, you know, it's just totally closed off to children from working class backgrounds now. I think another thing, so it's not just academic selection. A lot of people talked about how we're dealing with it in terms of funding, social disadvantage in schools in the North. Somebody, you know, somebody from a school said to me that, yeah, we get extra money, but we're also really, really tight for money. So it's not going to where it's meant yes. to go to. It's going to the bus when it breaks down. It's going to whatever the next emergency is, rather than going to helping the children from disadvantaged backgrounds. Whereas the DASH programme in Ireland, so the people here did say, of course, yes, we think more schools should be in. Yes, we think there should be more funding, but they're broadly positive. And quite a lot of people in Northern Ireland knew about it. We were very um, up to date on the programme. Um, so it was spoken of very highly. It's sort of ring-fenced. It's a much more holistic approach. The money and the fund and the programmes that is what it's for. It's for disadvantage. It's not for fixing the bus or new books or whatever. It goes to specific things. And it seems to have made a big difference. Um, and it really was people in Northern Ireland were speaking very highly of it um, and thought it seemed to be working well. And I think, I suppose that's the point of the whole thing, to be sort of looking, policy learning, looking between two yeah. very near, close, LinkedIn jurisdictions and seeing what's working and maybe we could try it. And then I think another one that came up was um, the sort of link to the labour market. Mm. So as we spoke about the graduates, the lack of vocational um, things. So these are things they talk about in Ireland too, but I think they are a bigger problem in Northern Ireland at the minute. So the lack of, you know yourself, if you need a mechanic, how the price of it and how hard it is yeah. to get somebody. So things like that and just how the unis and the colleges are linking in with the labour market to be producing um, producing is maybe not the right word when we're talking about people but to be getting the right skills and the right yes. people out into the labour market um, and then another one was the FE and further education in the colleges mm. schools now or were before they were get rid of were offering BTECs unis were offering foundation degrees colleges were offering A-levels so the whole thing has just got a bit yeah. confused I think and doesn't really know what it's doing and in some places the schools and colleges work really well together but it's ad hoc some places they don't to the same extent so um, I think there needs to be work around the FE system but that's come up in different conversations you know this isn't news to anybody but I suppose without an executive and there's not going to be much pushed on I suppose in Ireland yeah I mean in the Republic, you, you have a, a, as I understand it a fairly a fairly clear pathway yes, which, can take you, which can take you all the way from even what would traditionally have been seen as a, a pass leaving cert in the old days, right through all the way up through the, the different levels of university. Yeah, and that word pathways come through quite a bit, a bit clear pathways. And even things now, like they've brung the college or the FE applications now into the central admissions office down here. Yeah. So you apply to the CAO for uni or college when you're finishing school at 18 or whatever. Yeah. Whereas in the North or Northern Ireland, 
people don't really know. Parents definitely don't know. Yeah. And it's all, I think there's a lack of information, there's a lack of knowledge, and it's all just a bit confused. No, it's 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 very interesting. I mean, this question of the, of 11 plus and, or transfer rather, and attitudes. I mean, it was Martin McGuinness, as I recall, was Minister for Education, who um, who abolished the 11 plus, uh, which is maybe one of the reasons why um, it was such, you know, he was the minister doing it, made it um, so so controversial in some circles. Um, but I'm assuming it's not, am I right? It's not the churches in particular who are defending this. I don't. I mean, I think I've heard I've heard Catholic bishops, so in, spe- in particular, speak about about their opposition to selection. But is it just that you've that essentially you have existing parents of kids and what they regard as good schools? They're thinking about their siblings, maybe their past pupils. There's a general sense that you know, if you have your inst or your St. Malachy's or wherever it might be, you know, well, look, this is a great place. It served me well. It served my kids well. So why should we change it? I mean, and these are, of course, middle-class people in positions of influence, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's interesting what you brought up about the Catholic Church, because I didn't realise that when we started this. I thought the Catholic Church's position, education position on it was to keep academic selection, yeah. but it isn't. Um, but then, I don't know, I suppose it gets confusing then. Um, but you're right, uh, there's... There's a lot going on. It is. It's it's more nuanced, I suppose. The siblings and the schools parents went to and good schools and yeah. people's perception of what a good school is, I think is going to be, there's a bigger social issue to be dealt with, I suppose, than just saying, right, we're not having these tests anymore. Go to your nearest school. But we're also one of the very few places in the world that does this. And there was a report out recently which looked at travelling to school and it had um, from Ulster University, I think it's Rolston, I did two maps. One, what a map would look like if everybody went to their closest school and it was all lovely and neat and tidy with wee yeah. tiny lines. And then one of where students travel from their homes to their actual school. Yeah. And it was just lines. Every, you know, there's people travelling huge distances past numerous schools to get to the grammar their mummy went to, whatever. So, yes, you're right. It is more um, nuanced than that. And particularly, obviously, people who are well off and who've performed well and want their children to perform well aren't going to be jumping at getting rid of yeah. grammar schools. Yeah. No, it's interesting, I suppose, by comparison, in Dublin, um, in Dublin you have, you know, in the Republic, mostly Dublin and to a certain extent Cork uh, and very little elsewhere. I mean, you have these fee-paying schools which are in general kind of ethos, you know, and, and prestige, actually pretty similar yeah. to the better-known um, schools in, uh, uh, better-known sort of grammar schools in Northern Ireland. So you're, you know, you could probably make comparisons between I don't know Belvedere, Belvedere College and 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 Insta, like I said, or between Alexander College for girls in Dublin or you know Victoria College, yeah. or whatever. Whereas in most of the country, that doesn't arise. If you're in, in if you're in the great bulk of Ireland, you you have a school or one or two schools, and they they are always you know inclusive and they're irrespective of their official status, they are effectively comprehensive. They take in all levels of ability. So it's not a, it's not an issue or even a choice for the great majority of people. In the Republic, uh, if they aren't in Dublin, you know, and to a certain extent in in Cork, as I, as I say, and then, but then, but that's the selection question. But you would have thought that the idea of a more more targeted um, efforts to assist the very poorest children in their schools, wherever the schools are, would sort of seem obvious. But is it is it partly because of the the, the huge pressure on other expenditure? I mean, I've, is it the is it the continuing? Um, absence of an executive able to make these decisions? I mean, again, from a policy point of view, what do you think are the obstacles to actually doing something a bit more radical about it? I think in Northern Ireland, 
we're sort of limited in our ability to be radical about any policies, really. I was talking on something recently with the Northern Ireland Women's Budget Group, and this came up about sort of, we tend to work on one-year budgets. Yeah. Nobody can overhaul education in one year. You know, regardless of how much money you had, that's impossible. And because of the way we swing between sort of different parties having, say, the Department of Education or whichever, we don't have sort of that continuity within Stormont to do anything radical, especially when they disagree quite strongly in some aspects, and education is one of them. Um, So I think that's a problem. The funding's obviously a huge one. And this yesterday they announced they were cutting the Extend at Schools programme, which helps children from disadvantaged backgrounds. We have had the books for babies, which is all babies, but obviously the disadvantaged children benefit the most from it. That's been cut. The uh, payments for school lunches during holidays cut. I think there's six or seven have recently been cut. So the education department, obviously, with no executive in place, um, these seem to be, unfortunately, the things that potentially could be doing the most benefit. And what we need, I think, most, because we don't do a good job with disadvantaged to begin with, I don't think we have loads of wriggle room here to be getting rid of some of these things, um, seem to be the programmes going first. And the headline on Wednesday evening on some of the programmes was about water charges and bus passes getting done away with. That's not going to happen. They're not going to bring in water charges in Northern Ireland and they're not going to get rid of bus passes. Well, those are problems which occur everywhere, but but you're right, in Northern Ireland, it's it's this particular, I suppose, combination at the moment of A, the absence of an executive which can in any way, you know, even it it might be straining credulity a bit to think of it, but an executive which was well-established and strategic in its thinking. Yeah. So the civil servants, I, I know, are, you know, are doing what they can, but but they are really constrained. Uh, secondly, then, yeah, I mean, the, the budgetary arithmetic is extremely tight. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, I suppose there's such an overwhelming focus on trying to kind of prop up the health system that it's, it's, the impression one has from the outside is that the health system is being, you know, everything, if you like, is being thrown in that direction and everything else, including education, really suffers in yeah. in consequence. And then know? I suppose the problem is if we don't saw you know, the link between them and the sort of determinants of health, are we just pushing things yes. down the line? Yeah, I don't know what the answer is. <laughs> but we need a lot of money, I suppose, I is the answer. <laughs> I mean another I mean just just a couple of other things, I suppose, just on the question of the North South connection. I mean, first of all, if the if the North South Ministerial Council were in full operation which it can only be when there is an executive, then obviously, you know, discussions off, um, you know, comparisons between, cooperation between uh, education North and South would be an obvious topic, but that's another thing we've missed. Do you have a sense that the, if you like, that the the sort of the experts in the area, I mean, I know not just academics, obviously, because you are, but people like, you know, civil servants or, uh, edu- you know, um, educationalists and so on, are actually talking to each other and across the, across the border do they have an understanding, or, or the unions, whatever, or they are they very much in their own particular worlds? Uh, it depends. So it re- hugely varied. Um, the unions, a lot of them op- operate on an all island basis. So obviously, there's huge links there. Yeah. Teachers, the feeling was we have a million and one things to do. Would love to, but yeah. that's yeah, if there's a student standing crying at half three, going to a meeting with your colleague in Dublin is not on the priority list. Sure. Um, it was quite based on distance to the border. Yeah. So obviously Derry Donegal is a big one around the Newry area. In Cork, n- no, not really happening. 
Um, the inspectorate, so the inspectorate north and south, there's quite good links there. So I don't know where that's came from or how that's been maintained, but there's definitely, both of them spoke that there was good linkage between the two. The former the chief inspector for many years, actually, in the Department of Education was a cabin man. Harold um, uh, and he had a big inch to the north, as I remember. You know? Yeah, so very good yeah. links there between the two. And then Scotons come up quite a lot. So Scotons? Oh, Standing Conference on Teacher Education North and South. Okay. So it's, um, I think, comes out of the Centre for Cross-Border Studies, oh, yeah. come out sort yeah. of post-Good Friday Agreement. And it was spoke of, but really, after that, very ad hoc and very distance from the border or people dependent. So as you said, if you are originally from Belfast but now work in Dublin, maybe you're keeping links with your colleagues or whatever um, and keeping it sort of going a bit. But then if you leave your position, that's it, gone. So very ad hoc, people dependent and whether you're close to the border. Um, but everybody did say, we think there's benefit. You know, we know about this, we know about that. We'd love to talk to them about it. But nothing really concrete happening. Um, one thing that did come up was that there was more engagement with COVID. So obviously everybody was dealing with the same problems at the same time and under pressure. And there was some, um, I can't remember who it was, but there was regular meetings between North people North and South. And everybody had thought that was great. You know, it was helpful and problem solving, things like that. But whether or not that's continued now, I don't know. I know. Well, what you say, of course, is true. And as our research has confirmed overall, it's true both of... Um not just of education, but it's true of many other sectors as well, whether it's the health or, or, or the arts. Um, and likewise, this question of distance, again, the major survey we did with the Irish Times at the start of the year, you know, showed that in particular, um, people from Munster are extraordinarily unlikely to visit yeah. Northern Ireland or anything to do with this, which is obvious for you know, reasons of distance and also fewer personal connections, most most likely. So thank you very much indeed to, uh, to Anne uh, and her colleagues in the SRI who produced this paper. Uh, which can be read as can all uh, Aaron's research in Irish Studies in International Affairs, published by the Royal Irish Academy. It's uh, free uh, of access uh, to anybody, and I would warmly recommend that you read this and other Aaron's articles. Thank you so much. Aaron's stands for Analysing and Researching Ireland, North and South. It's a joint initiative of the Royal Irish Academy which is the premier all-island scholarly institution, and the University of Notre Dame's Kyo Nocton Institute of Irish Studies, which is itself part of the Kyo School of Global Affairs. It was established in 2020 with the objective, especially at that time in a post-Brexit context, of producing authoritative, independent and non-partisan analysis and research across the full range of relevant constitutional, institutional and social issues. And in fact, over the last couple of years, uh, we've covered uh, a quite remarkable range of subjects. And the research can be found in the Journal of Irish Studies in International Affairs, which is published by the Royal Irish Academy, and access to which is free to all online. Uh, the aim is to be scholarly, uh, but also accessible and relevant. Publications began to appear in early 2021, um, and this podcast also began uh, in 2021 in June. I hope that you've enjoyed the podcast you just listened to, and I also hope that you will find others uh, of interest um, on our website, which is aaronsproject.com, and also that you listen out for future podcasts, which are normally dropped 
on the first Thursday of every month. Thanks very much for listening. 